Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. Later on for our inbox, a listener wants to know, should I say something to my friend who just got engaged to a non-Christian? Counselor Wendy Brown is going to offer some guidance for this tricky situation. And then for our culture segment, author Carrie Newhoff is here for part two of our conversation about his newest book, At Your Best. So he's going to be answering a series of questions that came in from a live audience, and so you will want to listen to that. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and we were just talking before before we started taping about how this is right about the time after the first of the year when people's goals and resolutions start derailing. So why not capitalize on this horror and this angst and be like, hey, let's talk about goals that maybe seem vague, or maybe you thought you were going to be able to go after them, but they didn't quite pan out, or you're just, you know, exhausted from going after them in the first few weeks of the year. Uh, And so we're going to have a fun conversation around that with Hannah, John, and Kate. Hey, everyone. Hi, Lisa. Hey. hey, Lisa. Okay, good to have you here. Um, so let's talk about this. Not that you you weren't selected for this panel because you're so aimless and <laughs> have yeah, no guilty. good goals. And I decided, oh, yeah, you need to talk about that. No, not at all. I think we've all been through seasons where it seems like we just don't have clarity about the future or we feel like maybe it's something that I thought I wanted to go after or I've for a long time wanted to go after this or or maybe it's just generally like, you know, you're at a point in your life where you're like, I thought I'd be further along than this. I'm just kind of wondering, like, why, why did I, maybe you're questioning the degree you got in college and you're like, is this ever going to do anything for me? Like, why did I even go to college? That kind of stuff is where we can kind of uh, start taking stock and being like, hey, what does this actually mean? So, um, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of these situations where you feel you felt a little bit at sea, you feel like you're second guessing yourself, you're lacking clarity. How has that affected you personally? It's funny you bring up college because in a lot of ways that was me during college, Hmm. but especially the year after I graduated, I remember just applying for a job after a job after a job after a job, and nothing was working out. Mm -hmm. And it literally got to a point where I was so discouraged that I would have just taken anything just to even get me out of the house. I literally wondered, Lord, what is my future coming Mm -hmm. out of college? Because um, all the ambitions that I thought that I had when faced with the reality of adulthood almost kind of dissipated into desperation. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree. My season, I guess, that I can think of most readily also came in college. Um, I think like many people, I questioned my major, and so I changed it when I was a freshman. Um, And then it's like, should I change my major? What should I change it to? Like, you just go through all of these self-reflecting questions of what am I actually good at? What, you know, do I need to think about money or do I need to think about passions? Things like that. Um, And so I think I was really faced with a moment of like, oh, I need to start like making decisions. I need to, you know, because as a believer, you think like, oh, my life's in God's hands. Like he'll take care of it all. And like, surely he will. But there is a little bit of responsibility of like, I need to be wise about my decisions. And anyway, yeah, that was a season definitely for me. Or people say it's in God's hands. He's going to take care of it. 
by giving me an awesome job that brings in a lot of bank that, you know, we start putting assumptions on him of what that's going to look like. Exactly. Well, that's why I chose the degree degree that I chose was to make a lot of money. And so I ended up working for a nonprofit. And obviously, I make lots of money. Uh, No. So my degree, I chose mathematics because I could do it. And because I was promised that that the world would respect that and that you would get a lot of money, or you could be a developer or an engineer. Well, halfway through college, I realized I hated everything that had to do with math. (laughs) So at that point, I buckled down and said, I just need a degree. Let's get the math degree. Um, let's figure it out. I was already in a job in the hotel industry, so I stayed with that, So, which is not related to math at all. So I just feel like I had these very conflicting um, paths in my life. So I just honestly had no idea what to do. And praise the Lord that he has redeemed that time of my life because I feel like I had some very lost years on top of not having direction in life, just also questioning my faith. So mm-hmm. um, I think the trifecta for me. <laughs> it was like, I'm not making money. I have no prospects for the future and I'm not walking with the Lord. And it was very hopeless at that time. So, yeah, I think it's very assumptive. You know, again, we're, we're talking about all of us referenced college. And I think for me too, it was very much like I did college very well. I enjoyed college. I went away to college. I made a lot of great friends. But then for me, it was that transition out of college of just like, oh my goodness, like now all my friends have moved away. They're all doing their own thing. I thought we were going to preserve this perfect environment of friends from college. (laughs) No, and that like didn't happen. And it was like depressing. Um, So so it's easy. I mean, college and post-college is so stressful because you're literally just changing and upending everything about your life. And the whole, your whole life that was defined for you beforehand and you had an exact step, you know, to walk through and you had that four years and hopefully I'll figure out something by then and then people don't figure it out. So then they go to grad school. <laughs> so it was just like all crazy. But so let's fast forward to now because now y'all are in your 20s, right? And... um everyone's like, well, surely by now you guys are just on the straight and narrow and you're just moving it forward and, you know, ball down the field and I know exactly what I'm going after. And here's what, tell about how that is and isn't true. Like, where are you still a little bit wobbly in figuring out, do I really know where I'm going or am I just testing the waters? And where are a few things where God has shown up and you're, you're pretty, you've learned some stuff and you definitely feel like you've gotten some good skills and experience under your belt. Well, I feel like I can't plan my life as much as I wanted to. Um, so part of the trouble with the my plans falling apart was that I had such strict plans for my life, mm. and I wasn't involving God in the process. So in the last few years, I've actually learned to be more loose-handed with my dreams and my desires and saying, where, where do you want me to go, God? And... Um, I feel like it's easy, though, like you're saying, to fall into this vague, fuzzy, whatever God wants, it's fine, it's going to turn out. But just also knowing, like, he gave me these desires for a reason. So in the ways that I can control, I'm going to go after it. And if that means getting a master's degree in the field that I'm looking into, um, which is actually what I'm about to do right now, is Mm. getting a master's degree in the next step of my field. So um, I, I just think that was a... Something I had to balance was holding my dreams loosely, but also taking action on those dreams. 
I feel like in a lot of ways that the 20s have some almost surprised me in some really beautiful ways with coming out to move to Colorado and living in one of the prettiest states really in the country. And I had never even been here before I moved out here for the first time. And getting the job with Focus has been just a life changer in some beautiful ways. But it was funny going from college to the big leagues and broadcasting. I thought I was a lot better than I was at mm-hmm. first. And that first year was honestly a big wake-up call. It's like, hey, to be able to keep up with the pace of this type of work environment. And I realized that for a lot of work environments, it's this way. Um, you have to really buckle down. And the real world is a lot faster than I originally thought. Mm-hmm. So it's also in some ways much more rewarding than I would have thought. And yet at the same time, it also helped me to realize, oh, those professionals who I used to criticize all the time in college, you know, those football coaches who I thought really didn't have their team together. (laughs) Wow. It's a lot tougher being in their shoes now that I'm a professional than I originally thought. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think being out of college now, uh, recently, my head kind of spins when I think about uh, the future too far in advance. Um, because like the next step isn't defined. Um, and even thinking about my parents, like moving somewhere when they were in their 20s, starting a family and settling there for 20 plus years now, I'm like, oh, where am I going to be for the next 20 years? And that is like totally (laughs) not the thought to have ever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I think I've learned really, um, the beauty of doing the next right thing, doing the next faithful thing and trusting the Lord with that. And instead of, you know, filling out a sheet of paper that says, God, here's what I want my life to look like. Can you sign it and just approve it? But rather just handing him a blank page and being like, okay, I'm going to trust you with what's next, even though I can't, I can't put all the puzzle pieces together in my mind. And so, um, although scary on the forefront, I think that's been a really sweet process of trusting. Yeah. Him. Yeah. So what does it look like for you guys to, I mean, because clearly it's just crazy making if we try to chart out our whole careers and stuff like that from here. I mean, you guys would have uh, a lot of decades to, to look ahead. But what does it also look like in light of that, realizing, okay, I can't control the big scheme of things. How do you, in the midst of that, at least craft smaller goals for something for you to go after and look forward to? And, you know, what what's that process in your head for saying, okay, here is an area I want to grow or here's something that I want to accomplish? How do you do the manageable bites? I actually do start with the end result that I want to become. So I look at people who I respect and people who have been in their faith for 50 plus years. And I say, I want to be like that one day. How do I take actionable steps now to start becoming that person um, and walking this journey with the Lord? So I think that makes it easy for me to see kind of from the big picture to then zoom in on saying, well, that looks like being in the word daily, like praying, getting involved in community, um, making those goals that are a lot more easy to control for myself versus saying one day I will be a woman of God (laughs) and (laughs) I will be awesome and I don't have to do anything in the meantime. I will just be there one day and God will do all the work. No, there are some things that I can control. And so just taking those day-by-day actions um, based on what I want to, who I want to become. Yeah, I would agree with Casey on that. And even further, when I think about those little goals that will eventually get me where I want to be 
whether personal or professional, um, I kind of break them out down into two categories in my mind, measurable and immeasurable. Like as an example, like in a year, what I want to be true of me is like, I want to be a runner. Well, like that can be defined super differently. If I go (laughs) running once a week, I could be a runner or, you know, like as compared to I want to climb that mountain in two months, like that's very measurable, very um, evident when it's complete, whereas like other goals may be more evident of like my identity. And so I think breaking those down and having some that are like very easily like, oh, yes, I accomplished that. I can check that off. And other things that I'm like, oh, no, I'm like still growing in this way, um, I think kind of help me get to the end goal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Something I'm learning to do this year is actually talking about my goals more. Um, My dad, who we've had on this show before, is really good at being driven, staying focused, and getting things accomplished. And so I find it's a big motivator if I'm actually talking about my goals with other people who I know are going to encourage me to go for them. And having somebody you can even learn from um, when you're talking about your different goals and they can even give you feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, That's huge because if one mistake I have made in the past is that I would have all these goals in my head and I'd just keep them to myself. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not talking about them, if I'm not verbalizing them, then I'm probably not going to accomplish them. So that's one thing I'm learning to do is surround myself with people who are going to inspire me, who are going to keep me accountable. And um, it is making a difference. I I still have a long way to go, but it's definitely making a difference. And it makes it more real because you're sharing it with people around you versus saying, oh, well, it's something that if I don't even try or if I don't verbalize it, then maybe it doesn't really matter if I start it and the perfectionist in me (laughs) won't know that I failed Mm -hmm. because once I say something, to me, it makes it more real in that way. And then if I don't follow through, there's no excuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even feel like that's a cool way to like get ideas. I don't know. Maybe that's a selfish thought, but I'm like, oh, wait, like you're, you want to memorize scripture in the next six months? I'm like, I should. Yeah, that's good. How are mm-hmm. you doing that? And even getting into those conversations. So yeah, I definitely think verbalizing it. Uh, yeah. Just helps in the whole process. Yeah. I think it's great to ask questions of other people because you'll learn so much of just what's worked for them. Um, I actually did an interview this morning where I was the one being interviewed for a podcast uh, that's really for like young adult pastors and influencers. And one of the questions they asked me is, do you have a question that you'd like to ask of us? And I said, yeah, I said, I would love to know what is God asking you uh, to trust him in right now? So that kind of idea, because again, learning where people are having to kind of go after that and what that means for them is, I mean, it's very easy to talk in generalities and it's very easy to talk about like, oh, well, you know, skills or talents or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about like, this is something that I'm literally having to trust God in because otherwise it wouldn't be. Then you find out like where is someone's pain points or where are their fears or where are their. And so it's just always a good learning for me to realize that and and finding out, you know, kind of to Hannah's point of like, what are other people kind of struggling to accomplish or what are they, how are they breaking it off into more bite-sized pieces and, and figuring out how people are just doing life is a great thing to great thing to learn. So um, 
Casey, I was going to ask you because of uh, you alluding to what you do. Now, I know that uh, you are in human resource development and and all of that. And I'm pretty sure that you probably talk to a lot of young adults uh, in the sphere of your expertise who are going after development opportunities for one reason or another. And what do you find, like, what are what, what are some of the nuggets of advice you could give to us based on what you see about people who maybe are, you know, trying to bite off too much, or maybe they're like starting out strong, but then they crash and burn or what, just what are some of the, the temperature kind of things that you're seeing among younger adults who want to grow and what would be your advice to them? I think I see often um, is this, they don't, they're not willing to learn from the moment as much. Mm. And so they're wanting the next big thing, like, oh, I've been in my job for two months. (laughs) Let (laughs) me, uh, I should be the director in another six months. So just just tell me what I need to know and I'll, I'll learn it. And just the value of learning everything you can from where you're at and the value of using the wisdom from the people around you. And um, I think it's it's easy. And I did the same thing where I said, well, I've accomplished this task, done, let's move on. And um, Or even not even giving yourself a chance to see if you actually like the tasks that you're doing or the role that you're in. Because for me... Um, I was a coordinator. And so I was thinking, I do not want to be a coordinator for the rest of my life. So how do I, um, how do I learn from the people around me and see what jobs that they're doing and see if I would enjoy doing what they're doing maybe. And so that was something I also tell other people. I said, ask the directors in your department or the managers in other departments, see what they do, but see what kind of skills they're looking for. And you are always building skills. In everything you're doing, every task, every email you send, you are building a skill. So if you can just maximize those skills you're building currently and learn the wisdom from the people around you, then that season of your life is not valueless Mm -hmm. and it will contribute to your next role. So I don't know if that helps in answer your question. I just feel like there's this, and even in my heart, this restlessness of wanting the next big thing and the next big promotion or pay raise or whatever it might be. But, you know, if you if you learn as much as you can in every season, it's not going to be mm-hmm. not worth the time. Yeah, I think I always like to encourage folks too to say, don't be limited, like specifically career wise, don't be limited by your job description. Like a lot of people will just say, oh, I better not do that because that's not really my job. Or I've got so many other things that I should be doing. That's not my job. Um, you know, it's funny, just right before Christmas, I had the opportunity, um, I our PR team had pitched me based on a, an op-ed I'd written for the Chicago Trib, which also was a great opportunity. Um, but I got some TV requests. And one of them was right before Christmas on a Saturday morning to do from my home. Literally, it was 5.30 a.m. live because it would have been East Coast time. So live at like 7.30 a.m. And it was so funny because the my publicist was like, And I know, like, let's not even just don't even do it because it's too early and it's on a Saturday and that's just ridiculous. And I was like, no, I said, I'm going to do it because that is a great opportunity. And, you know, first of all, it's not it was a major market, Washington, D.C. It was a good opportunity. It was going to be live. It was going to be something that I just felt like would be a good skill and just something to do and to, quite frankly, you know, just a great opportunity for Boundless to get the word out and stuff. 
And so I did. And it was rough getting up and doing my own hair and makeup and figuring out the camera and all that kind of stuff. But I made it happen. And it's funny because now just yesterday, our films team burned that clip for me. So it's something I have in my tool belt of something like, okay, that was something that I, I did, you know, put it away. It was good. I have it now. And, you know, can say like, oh, yeah, refer to my interview on blah, blah, blah. And it's just another thing that like, you you might want to say like that's not within my working hours or within my job description or it's just something that's too much or I can't fit it in but you never know what kind of experience you'll get out of it so it it can always be good for and you. That's yeah. another thing is serious growth happens when you do things you're not qualified for yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Cuz then yeah. you become mm-hmm. qualified and not comfortable so doing. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> yeah, very true. Okay, so kind of um in our last minute or two here, let's just talk about what give an example maybe of something like a goal that you set that you did not reach, you literally just failed. <laughs> and then maybe something that you did reach and what was the difference between the two? How how did you um how did you have to I'm just going to say the word it's we're supposed to ban it in 2022, but how did you pivot in order <laughs> to address um, a goal in a way that you really could accomplish it after a failed goal. Two that immediately come to mind for me is I remember one day, actually while I was in college, I had this idea where I said, I really want to buy myself an Apple laptop. Hmm. And the desire became very strong. And then I quickly verbalized it. And one of the things I started doing is I started saving my money with the job I was working at at the time. So talking about it, like I mentioned earlier and learning to do that more, that was the time where I did talk about it. And then I started saving money and lo and behold, a few months later I got it. And I actually still have that one today. Um, one goal that I set last year that admittedly did not go well is I wanted to read like 30 to 40 books and I only read seven. I started probably 30 to 40, but (laughs) I had this really bad habit of if I'd miss a day, I'd just quit. Mm -hmm. But one mistake I made is I kept the goal all to myself. Ah. And I thought, oh, if, if I miss a day, then my rhythm's broken. I tend to struggle a lot with perfectionism. And so I'll be like, oh, if I can't hit this 100%, then I just quit. So one thing that a counselor told me recently, he said, perfectionism is an unattainable reality this side of heaven for us because none of us are Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so along the way, when you're trying to set goals, you're going to make mistakes. It's not always going to be perfect, but it's better to just get back up, keep trying and go again than it is to just stop altogether and then kick yourself and say, what if, if, Mm -hmm. if I had done it better? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Something, uh, a couple goals that come to mind for me. I remember uh, in college, my roommates and I, uh, wanted to do the Whole30 diet, which I didn't do much research before, <laughs> which I should have. Um, but uh, it was kind of intense, and it was like, all right, January 1st through 30th, we're doing this. Um, and I think what was hard about that is I felt like I just jumped into the deep end of maybe trying to eat healthier and uh, rather than trying to change daily habits of like, this is, you know, I want to eat healthier over the whole year and not just for this short amount of time. Yeah, so I definitely think I I could have taken baby steps in that realm. Uh, But also similarly to uh, John, while I was in college too, there was a ministry that I wanted to uh, lead in. I wanted to lead Bible studies there because it was really impactful for me. And so I got involved as much as I could, met as many people as I could, and like, Lord, 
willing, you know, he like let me lead in that space. And so, yeah, just like really getting involved and going out there and not necessarily that that was a goal, but it was um, something that I desired um, taking steps toward that. So, yeah, that's great. Well, one goal that I crushed in 2021 was to be Taylor Swift's number one fan. And <laughs> no way. My Spotify said I was in the top one percent of listeners, so I feel like I'm pretty wow. no. good. <laughs> um actually because I started the year as not a Swifty, but I won't get into it. Mm. Um she had some great albums last year. But all that to say, um probably how I failed with goal setting, especially last year, uh, was with setting way too unattainable goals. So mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to um, I'm going to work out twice a day. I did the, the 75 hard, which is a program at one point, and keto, and I was trying to do all these same things at the same time. And that worked for maybe three months, mm-hmm. and then I crashed and burned. And so a piece of advice that I heard that was really helpful in, in helping me um, pretty much steady out for the rest of the year was that you determine the rules of your goals. So you do not have to set these unattainable things. You can say, if I even go on a mile walk uh, three times a week, like that's helping me get where I need to go. And I can totally do that and totally check that off my list. Mm-hmm. So that's something where I'm still struggling to figure out because I'm much, uh, much more of a high goal setter. Um, and just learning that to pivot to say, well, no, I choose to read 10 pages of a, of a book a day instead of trying to say 52 books a year or whatever it might be. So I choose the, the rules of my goals. Yeah, that's good. I think for me, um, looking back on when I, in 2015, when I wrote a book, the only reason that happened was because I signed a contract and I had a deadline with a publisher. <laughs> like, had wow. that been a goal, That's like a to reason. John's point of like, just keeping it to myself, everything else in my life would have won out over sitting in front of a laptop every night and tapping out words and just, I mean, it was no, there was no payback for it, you know, right there. It was just like, and here I am, I'm still writing. And as a, you know, extrovert, it was really tough. Um, but vague goals for me are also the the bane of my existence. And so for me, um, using the exercise one as an example, having unrealistic um, what the what the outcome is going to be for a goal based on what I'm willing to do. Mm-hmm. So kind of the, um, you know, I, I have in my head that if I walk the trail near me, that I am going to look like what I would look like doing like P90X. For like I'm like, no, actually, you need to throw tires to look trail? like that. <laughs> I, know, I know. So I'm like, I'm doing like the boomer mom approach to this. I'm not doing the throw tires and carry chains and all this kind of stuff. So be realistic. But walking the trail near my house is great. It's more than doing nothing, you know, and so but just be realistic about that. And and again, getting people to join you in that and hold you accountable is so good, too. So really funny. But well, good times, you guys, this is a fun conversation and gives us something a little bit more to think through as we enter the coming weeks and not get discouraged about goals that may have petered out so far. You can always resurrect a goal or um, pull something back, revamp things, maybe take a Saturday morning or some time that you have to sit down with a notebook and think through like, hey, moving forward, you know, how can I tweak this a little bit? What would it really be great to go after in the next month or two? So thanks, you guys. Thanks, Thanks,
Well, hey, everyone. Uh, For this week's culture segment, I hope you caught this last week because we had the chance uh, to talk to Carrie Newhoff, pastor, author, leadership expert, podcaster, about all things time, procrastination, um, you know, distractions, all the things, uh, themes out of his book, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. It's his brand new book. And so this week, we want to open it up to a Q&A. And because we uh, are actually recording this live via our Listen app, uh, we're trying this out, we have got folks who are going to have the chance to ask a question live uh, right here, and we'll get ready to do that. Uh, those of you who are, are in our um, in the app right now, ready with your question. But uh, Carrie, I want to welcome you back this week. Great to have you here. Oh, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so I alluded, I'm going to kick it off with this question, because this is like, mm-hmm. you know, solve all the world's problems in two minutes. We had a question that came in on social media from someone who just wants to straight up know, how do I stop procrastinating? So if we're talking about procrastination, oh. I mean, you just you just solve this problem for all of us right now, Carrie. We need to figure out how in the world of distractions, when we are so prone to procrastinate, what are any quick and dirty tips to get us started? Well, you know, I'll just wave a magic wand and yeah. solve that. For well, that's what I'm okay? hoping you're so- going to do, please. What I would suggest is to take a look at your calendar and a, a lot of a lot of things die the death of good intentions. So I'm going to write a book. I'm gonna, I talk to because I'm a podcaster. I talk to people. I want to launch a podcast. I want to launch a podcast. OK, well, launching a podcast is a lot of work. So let's just pick that as a thing. What would you do? Because I thought about it for two years before I launched mine. And that was a lot of time. And I thought, do I have the time? So eventually I just sat down and I said, what is sustainable? And I thought an interview format is sustainable because I don't have to write an hour of content every other week. I said, I know a lot of people. I can probably interview my friends to get started. And uh, then I thought, well, what unique piece do I bring to podcasting? It's like, it's not the production, although I could do it. It's actually the interview and the ability to bring a conversation to people. I'm like, okay, so there's, my job. Now I've defined it. I have not just a vague idea. I want to be a podcaster. I know the kind of podcast I want to do and my role in it. I'm like, I'm going to need a team to do some editing. Okay. So that was the next thing on the list. And then I'm like, I'm going to bank um, like 10 interviews and just get them in the bank before I launch it. Because so many podcasts die a quick death of like, I got two episodes out and then, oh, I got busy and now my show's dead. So I'm like, I'm not going to fall victim to that. So I had 10 episodes in the bank and I had a date on the calendar and then it launched. And having 10 episodes in the bank, it meant somebody could get sick, someone could cancel, I would still have a show. That was seven years ago. We're almost 500 episodes in. I've never missed a Tuesday. Hmm. But the way I got my procrastination dealt with on that when I thought about it for two years was it was specific. It's like, it's going to be this kind of show. I started doing it before I did it. So it's almost like I had a lot of warm up. And I redid one of the interviews twice because I didn't like it. I wasn't a very good interview at the beginning. So I had the time for that. And then when I launched, I already had margin and I had the team figured out. So I had all of that done. So what I would say is get very specific about what you want to do and then uh, put a date on the calendar and reverse engineer it. That's basically what I did. And if you start to get a little bit of progress in one area of your life, 
it is much easier to get progress in the rest of the areas of your life. I don't know. Does that help, Lisa? Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think that's a great start for folks who need to even figure out, like, yeah, is this even a solvable problem? So very helpful. Well, you might, if you're 10 episodes in, you realize, gosh, I hate podcasting. Well, good. You didn't lose anything because you didn't launch it. Uh, It turns out I love it. So, um, you know, it was fine. But you learn an awful lot when you do the beta. And I think I think we live in an age, too, where everything has to be instantly successful. Mm-hmm. And I had a good start to the podcast. We'll hit 20 million downloads now. But half of those have been in the last year and a half. So often what you discover is that the path to overnight success is a long night. And don't be afraid of a long night. Like you're going to make some mistakes. It's not always going to go the way you want. That's okay. That's part of life. Um, Often the reward comes down the road. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, we have got Alex in the audience and Alex would like to ask a question. Alex, go ahead. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Lisa. How's it going? Good. Hi, Alex. Great to meet you. It's very good to meet you again. Yeah, my name's Alex. I am a tragically overcommitted person. Um, and I, I, I love what you said about passion, the fact that you don't allow anything on your calendar unless you're passionate about it. Um, my problem is I seem to be passionate about everything. <laughs> so um, right. I, would love your, I would love your perspective on this. What are some of your qualifying characteristics that you use to differentiate potential calendar items between the things that you're really passionate about and the things that, you know, don't really deserve the time that you've been given? Yeah, it's a great question. We can go back and forth on this, Alex, too. So feel free to interrupt. But I would look at your motivation underneath that to ask what is driving my compulsive passion or even a desire to say yes. There are a million things that I could do. But what I realized is is that my deepest pursuits have a cost. So it's kind of embarrassing. Um, if I gave you a list of all the movies I have never seen, it's, it's like just shame-inducing. I haven't seen the whole Star Wars trilogy. I never watched Lord of the Rings. I'm just not a big TV person, but I also realized, okay, but I get to podcast and I get to read books and I get to write books. So to me, that was a trade-off, right? Like it's not... We don't, we live in an infinite universe and serve an infinite God, but I do not have infinite time. Everything I do has to fit into 24 hours in a day. I used to love, okay, here's a great example, Alex. I used to love golf. And one day it hit me. I was in my thirties. thought, why do I like golf so much? Because it was starting to compete with being a young dad, you know, and I did take my boys out, but they didn't want to go all the time. And I thought, wow, five hours away from my family on a day off that's a long time away from my family and then one day it hit me you know why i like golf i love the smell i love the golf course i love the grass the fresh mown grass it it hit me it was like a counseling session it reminded me of my dad that my dad and i one of the things that we did when i was little was we would play golf together and it was one of the few times i got to see him he worked a lot of hours as soon as i learned that golf lost its passion for me. I'm like, oh, I can go see my dad anytime and I can do other things that don't need to remind me of it. So sometimes there's a psychological reason under that. Honestly, it could be FOMO, just fear of missing out. Could be a lot of different things. And then realize that, that the stuff that you're truly good at, I find as you get older and you know, you're young, 
But as you get older, you'll, you'll start to narrow what really matters to you. And uh, so I pick three hobbies that I allow on my calendar on a regular basis. And they all start with bees, biking, uh, boating, and uh, barbecue. So I love those three things. Those are the three things I do. I've eliminated a lot of other things like photography. I have a nice DSLR. I don't use it very much because I'm not that passionate about it. So I would just winnow a little bit more and then maybe even do some journaling or go see a counselor or a therapist and say, why do I want to do everything? Maybe there's something underneath that. Yeah, Great question, Alex. Thanks so much. Um, okay. We also have a question from Casey. Casey is in the audience. Go ahead, Casey. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Good. Hi, Casey. So my question is um, pretty much bouncing off of what I read in your book, At Your Best. Um, I uh, completely agree with um, energy levels and trying to figure that out. And I want to maximize my zones, but I feel like I'm caffeine addled most of the time. So it's kind of Hmm. hard for me to figure that out. (laughs) Um, So I'm just wondering, do you have any practical tips on how to figure out those zones? Um, How to monitor my energy levels during the day? Because I feel like I'm kind of always in this middle zone. So I'm not sure how to do that. Yeah, that's a fair question. So, couple of things I would look at. Look at how you perform consistent tasks at different times of the day. And it could be deep work, like, you know, I'm a writer. So if I'm working on a chapter for a book, how does that chapter flow? How do the ideas flow at 8 a.m. versus 4 p.m.? And I can tell you in my life, it's always going to go better at 8 a.m. than it is at 4 p.m., with very few exceptions. Another thing is to monitor your mood level, like how happy do I tend to be? How tired do I tend to be? And I know that caffeine can really get in the way of assessing that. Um, Another thing can be something as pedantic as emptying your inbox, because I think we all know we've had, and I wouldn't suggest that the best use of your time, unless you're an executive assistant, is emptying your inbox, but try it at, you know, 8 a.m. Do you, you've got 10 unread messages do you get through them in like four minutes? Like boom, 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 boom. Good answer, good answer, good answer. Done. On to the next thing. Or are you staring at the screen an hour later going, oh, I still got eight to go. And you're just not very effective. So it's often in the doing of those things that will tell you, man, I'm bringing a lot of energy even to emptying my inbox right now, or this is really dragging. So that'll help you. And as you know, if you've read the book, I divide the day into green, yellow, red, green being your best energy, Red being, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. And yellow being everything in between. So that'll help you. A third way, if I got my count right, the third way to handle it is by asking other people around you and just say, hey, when do I seem to be like cheery, focused, happy to be here? When am I contributing really good ideas? And then are there times of the day where I'm maybe not at my best and just see what they have to say? And I know in my own house, you know, I do a a workday version of the energy clock that we just talked about. That's green, yellow, red. But, you know, I'm like, don't don't ask me anything important after 8 p.m. Because I'm just I'm not going to give, you know, the Holy Spirit leaves my body at around 830 every night. And so I don't need to solve big problems. Now, talk to me at 830 in the morning. I'm good to go. I hope that helps. Yeah, great, great thoughts. Thanks so much, Carrie. Okay, I do want to go to one uh, that we got on social. Um, someone was asking. Uh, I thought this is kind of fun and a little bit a uh, little bit personal. Uh, they asked, "What does a typical morning look like for you? Walk us through your morning routine." 
Yeah, so this is descriptive, not prescriptive. You will have your own. And remember, uh, my kids are grown, so I don't have like babies to feed or kids to get off to school or lunches to pack or anything like that. But I usually get up pretty early, usually somewhere between 4.30 and 5.30. Uh, I'll spend these days about a half hour to an hour praying, reading the Bible. I go through the Bible in one year. Also doing a Tim Keller devotion with a friend. We just text each other every morning. And sometimes I'll do some reflective reading. Sometimes I'll do some practical reading, you know, just a book I'm interested in or some interesting articles online. And then basically I, you know, have some caffeine. I'll often have a shower at that point. And then I just go to my desk, hopefully by 730, and I'll start to write or work on the biggest projects. Um, I might check my email very briefly just to see if anything's on fire. Usually there isn't anything on fire. And then I'll go to work on a big content project or a big problem I'm trying to solve for a couple of hours. And basically, I don't allow anything on my calendar without my explicit permission before 11 a.m. So my staff who have, you know, lots of areas of access into my life, nothing gets on my calendar before 11 a.m. without my permission. And that allows me to do things like write books. And, you know, I, I read uh, Donald Miller's new book this morning because I'm interviewing him later this week. And so my interview prep for my podcast, that all happens in my green zone. And uh, I find that if I have a productive green zone in the morning, the rest of the day, well, it sort of takes care of itself. I can do interviews, meetings, um, you know, and all the routine admin that comes with it. So that's basically my day. Wow, that's pretty good. I mean, it's almost like uh, there's a certain ruthlessness to it, you know, and we have to be willing to kind of uh, maybe disappoint some people. If you're going to say nothing's going on my Uh, calendar, that's uh, (laughs) you're going to be a bad guy, Carrie. I don't know about that. Oh, Lisa, (laughs) I disappoint people every day. It's so hard. It's the part I like least. But, you know, as, as you know, when you have a big audience, it's like the inbound is just relentless. And so that's the hardest part of what I do is figuring out what I allow on my calendar and what I don't. And there's a part of me that wants to allow everything and everyone on my calendar because, oh, my goodness, who am I to say no? But I also realized that it would defeat the very thing that I feel I'm called to do, which is to help leaders thrive. And that involves producing great content. And if I'm going to produce great content, it's not going to happen with the leftovers of the day. It's not going to happen on evenings and weekends. Um, And I need some time off to actually refuel. Like brain research is now showing us what the scripture has taught us all along, that God implemented a day of rest for a reason. Like I've never done this exercise, but even in the Old Testament, I know we don't follow an Old Testament calendar, but like the Hebrews were off every 12 minutes. It was like, oh, here's another feast day. Oh, here's a, a celebration day. Oh, it's the Sabbath again. Oh, yeah, you're only supposed to do this, but not this. And uh, God was like, you guys are not robots. Like, do you realize that? And we've forgotten. So I'm trying to live more. And it's so funny because the more I am intentional about my time, the better my marriage gets, the better my parenting gets, um, the better my friendships get, the more sleep I get, the more productive I am. So I'm now trying to sleep seven to nine hours a night. Mm -hmm. Not always successful at nine, but I can almost always do seven. And um you know, and, and it's funny, everything grows, everything gets bigger. So it's like, oh, well, that's interesting. The less I do, the more I accomplish. There's a principle there. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So what do you do? I mean, in in this uh, era, and clearly this is where you live, being an author, being someone who's now a podcaster. You know, we talk a lot about influencers and about... I mean, you reference like you don't need to go and check how many people have liked your Instagram photo, but how do you exist, honestly, as a normal person without getting sucked into the vortex of influence and checking your influence and prioritizing your influence? Because whether or not we actually are bona fide influencers or whatever our reach is, there seems to be this pressure, especially among Gen Z now and millennials mm-hmm. to make a difference, to have, you know, make your mark, have an impact, be the person who's hustling, getting to the next level. I mean, certainly for the Christian young adult, that can be crazy making. So give us a little perspective on that. It is crazy making. And the advantage is I spent my 20s and 30s with almost nobody knowing what I was doing. You know, I worked in law for a year and that was fine. I was just the bottom of the totem pole in a law firm. Then I went to seminary and then I started at very small churches. So um, the very small churches didn't stay small for long. So probably by the time I was like in my late thirties, I started to gain a little bit of influence in terms of, oh, this guy's leading a really rapidly growing church. And then, you know, more recently with Uh, the public stuff I'm doing and writing books and speaking around the world and podcasting and that kind of thing. And, you know, there's a part of me that is very grateful that the influence has come later in life, not earlier. And the reason is my character needed a lot of work. We've talked about that before. You know, my last book didn't see it coming. You know, when you think about all the, the pastoral casualties and leadership casualties we've seen of moral failure. Like, I think that, well, first of all, that could happen to me. And secondly, I think it might have happened to me if all that influence came. Because if your platform outgrows your character, you are in trouble. And I think that's what we see happen. And you can get a a viral video, you can get like instant influence. And if your character isn't up to the size of your audience, then that is going to create a lot of problems. So I'm not saying my character is at the size of my audience. I'm not claiming that I have some kind of moral superiority. All I'm saying is, by God's grace, I've had a few decades to like figure out what really matters, that I want to stay married, that my wife is the most important thing, that, you know what, influence comes and influence goes, and fame comes and fame goes, and um, it's not everything. And if it disappeared tomorrow, I hope I'd be okay. But I also am not stupid enough to think that, you know, oh, until I'm 80 years old, people are going to call and they're going to want this and they're going to want that. No, there'll be a day where people stop calling and there'll be a day where the audience goes away. And the question then is, well, who am I? Am I still a child of God? Am I still loved? And so I think I think it's much harder to ask those questions and answer them effectively when you're in your 20s. It certainly would have been for me. It would have been, yeah, give me my shot at fame. Yeah. Uh, and I think I would have blown it. Right. So you know, and I'm not saying I won't blow it now. I hope I don't. That's my prayer. I've got a counselor who's helping me not blow it. But um, yeah, I think I think it's really problematic. And you know, you think of even Generation Alpha after Generation Z, if that's what we're calling them. And when you're borrowing, you know, you get your first iPhone, and you've got a million followers on YouTube. Like the train wreck of child stars is not very good. If you look at the history of Hollywood, um, when you get fame that early, and, and here, here's another thing, fame without accomplishment. Like, what did you actually do? 
for a long, long time, you had to accomplish something. You had to have a track record. The reason I got well-known somewhat, you know, D-level, is because I led a growing church. And then I started producing content that people found meaningful. And so it was like I produced work. And as a result of that, more people knew me. Well, now you can just be known for being funny or being, you know, whatever. And you're like, what is behind that? I think those are really deep questions that we need to do a better job answering in particularly as Christians. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, um, we are out of time then. We have so much appreciated Carrie being willing to hang with us for this segment, uh, these past two segments, these past two weeks of segments, in fact, um, sharing info and insights from his book, At Your Best. And again, a reminder that this book, At Your Best, we are making available here at The Boundless Show uh, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So just go to boundless.org, click on the book cover, uh, make your gift to Boundless, especially especially now uh, in a new year. This is fantastic uh, for us to be able to chart ahead where we're going with Boundless and have your support doing so. So we want to send Carrie's book as our thank you to you. Carrie, thanks again for weighing in last week with insights about the uh, from your learnings and this week with our Q&A. We so appreciate it. Well, as we finish out the show, we open up our inbox and we love it when we can invite one of our counselors down here to answer the weekly question. And today's no exception. We have got Wendy Brown here. Wendy, good to have you. Hi, Lisa. Good to be here. Okay. Well, this is a short and sweet question, but one that's pretty packed. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and read it and give you a, a chance to take a stab at it. Our listener says, I have a Christian friend who's engaged to a non-Christian guy, and I'm concerned. Do I need to speak up in this situation? And what would be your recommendation for things I should and should not say? Well, it is a packed kind of question, isn't it? Um, You know, if we love someone and we really care about them, then we really have a responsibility in a healthy relationship to confront them with the truth in love. I think of Proverbs 27, 6. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. I I don't want all the friends in my life to be ones that multiply kisses. Mm -hmm. I I don't want the ones who are always going to encourage and support and say, yeah, you're doing great. We need people who will speak the truth to us in a loving way. Because being confronted uh, in love, that's how we grow as uh, individuals. That's how we grow in relationship. That's how we grow really in Christ as well. 
what should she say? Um, that, that really, there's this sort of thought that comes to my mind of we often want to say too much. Uh, we're full of our own fear and anxiety. Those questions: How's this going to turn out? Uh, what if they get mad? Uh, what if they don't see things like I do? And that fear and anxiety boil within us. I think of a a pot of pasta on the stove and how it boils and then it foams up and runs over and makes just a mess. So really, um, my thoughts are, I heard it said once that brevity is the essence of genius. Hmm. And so really being able to communicate uh, three things, really. First of all, I love you. Second, I'm concerned about. So in this case, I'm concerned that as a Christian, you're engaged to this man that might not share the same, that doesn't share the same faith or values that you do. Uh, It's important to just say that very briefly. And then I'm here for you regardless of what happens, because it's not our place to change the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors of another person. It's our place to love them well, to care for them well. Finally, when you think about things you should not say, What comes to mind are statements like, you know, you have to do this or you need to do this because really that's going to push their trigger button from the get go and probably create an emotionally reactive situation. Mm -hmm. And so being able to just kind of keep those very direct uh, statements out so that hopefully there's a better opportunity for them to not respond defensively. Mm-hmm. Also, I I would encourage avoiding what I call the conversation hammers, and that would be shame, manipulation, condemnation. Uh, those are, are the things we use because we're boiling in that pot, and we're trying to change our friend's behavior and really, in a sense, force them into seeing things the way we see them. So recap, yes, a good friend is going to approach the situation with the truth in love. Say just simply, I love you. I'm concerned. I'm here for you no matter what happens. And finally, avoiding statements that are going to cause defensive responses and the conversation hammers Mm -hmm. like shame, manipulation and control. Yeah, that's great. Good thoughts there. And it's always, I know it's always easier for us to go after someone in, you know, in an area that we don't personally struggle in. You know, we always want to tell other people what to do. And then when it comes to be our turn to kind of maybe take some hard truths, it's like, hey, no, I don't need to hear that or whatever. But um, even sharing, if if you've been in a similar situation, sharing your own experience with it and like, yeah, you know, it was hard or here's how this played out and stuff. Always being that person who wants to be alongside someone instead of telling them what to do, like Wendy said, so encouraging there. So Wendy, thanks so much for weighing in on that. Well, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. As always, we want to hear from you. So now in the new year, do write to us at editor at boundless.org, especially if you have a question that we can answer in one of our inboxes. We love it when we can do that. And so um, editor at boundless.org or just say hi. You know, we uh, answer that inbox and monitor it. So we would love to just be in conversation with you. Maybe tell us what you've been enjoying lately or suggestions for some direction we can go in the new year. We'd love that as well. So I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. 
The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help.